When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for the group of five and the FCS. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you as always. Recording this the week of December 6th. Just after the COSA title game, we're going to dive into that and review how the UTSA Roadrunners captured their second straight COSA title. Only the third team in the history of the league to do that. But uh, Eric, before we dive into that, got to know, as I got to know every week, how are you? (laughs) How kind of you, Joseph? Um, (laughs) I'm doing doing well, sir. I, I cannot complain. It is that time of year where... For those of us who work in sports, those of us who are work in college football space, mm-hmm. it, it is a lot of things going on. The transfer portals in full swing. I know we will we'll talk about that in a later episode because we got plenty of uh, stuff to get about as far as go, to to talk about as far as coaching changes and whatnot. But between that and player commits, it is a busy time. I feel like I was just getting off the plane the last game of the year, but hey, you know, no, no, uh, no rest for the wicked, as the saying goes, right? <laughs> That's a Cage the Elephant song. That's a great Western Kentucky reference to start the day. I see. Listen, how about I just published something on the Hilltoppers? Uh, she go check that out. Underdogdynasty.com. Why Tyson Helton's approach to the group of five up to the, to the transfer portal should be the model for all G5 schools. Cheap plug. Check it out. <laughs> all right. There obviously has been a lot of transfer news. We will likely get to that on another episode in some form or another. Uh, keep in mind, bowl season does start here pretty soon. There's a lot of coaching news we got to get to, which we'll absolutely talk about on this episode. And we're also going to talk about uh, some postseason awards in CUSA and uh, get through that as well. But first, Conference USA Championship. Roadrunners get it once again. Jeff Trailer obviously overjoyed with how his team performed. And uh, Roadrunners cracked the CFP top 25 as well. They get in there right at number 25. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but they're going to play Troy in the Cure Bowl on December 16th. But 48-27, to 27, final score in that game. Frank Harris, 341 yards four touchdowns. We knew he was going to play fantastic. Uh, Defense made big plays when they needed to. Clifford Chapman interception in a fourth consecutive game. So uh, really nice stretch for him to end the season. And we knew that the atmosphere at the Alamo Dome was going to be something else. And they brought it once again, over 41,000 fans in there, uh, making it loud and and difficult. And we saw that kind of uh, cause some problems for North Texas when they were, uh, you know, kind of backed up in their end zone. Um, But I, I really liked how North Texas looked to start in this game, especially on defense. But 
you know, it's never on one guy, but Austin Ani, as much as we saw him improve throughout the course of the year, he really did not have it in the first half. Uh, we saw him overthrow uh, those deep routes a handful of times, and obviously that kind of cost his team opportunities. Um, and then on his interception in this game, it clearly threw it too far in front of the receiver, and UTSA capitalized as they tend to do. So, I, that that's kind of my takeaway on this, and obviously we'll we'll get to it. But uh, that brings Seth Luttrell's career record at North Texas to uh, an even forty four and forty four, and uh, mo- we can blame it largely on the departure of uh, athletic director Ren Baker, in my opinion. But uh, Seth Luttrell no longer the head coach of the Mean Green Football Program. But before we get to that, Eric, your impressions of UTSA getting it done in this contest. Joe, this game really came down to the second quarter in my mind. Uh, I think I texted you during the game that there were a couple yeah. plays in the second quarter. Obviously, Seth Luttrell definitely was fired up about a couple of missed calls or calls that he perceived to be missed that really kind of turned the momentum for this game in terms of you know turning it towards UTSA. And as he talked about playing in front of a raucous home crowd, over 41,000 people in the Alamo Dome. Uh, I've covered a game in the Alamo Dome. I said 8,000 people. And uh, as as quiet as that place can feel when it is empty, I'm sure it can feel as just as loud when it is full. But the reason I, why I say, Joe, it came down to that second quarter is your point about Austin Ani. It, it's not necessarily that I, I believe Austin Ani should be absolved of blame. However, and I've talked about this this year on this podcast. I feel like it's been on this podcast. Maybe it was on uh, a radio spot. But UNT is not designed to come from behind. That just isn't the way that their their team is. Uh, Joe, I think the most glaring example of Austin Ani looking like, quite frankly, a player could have been considered for Conference USA Player of the Year is that FIU game. Because you saw when they got ahead, Austin Ani is able to, you know, things are opening up. Austin Ani is able to hit guys downfield. I think he threw for a career-high five touchdowns in that game. Sure, FIU definitely not comparing them in terms of level of competition to UTSA. However, I'm just using that as an example as to say, like, I'll just read it to you this way. 3,300 passing guards, 32 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. You think on on its surface, when you hear those numbers, okay, that's a guy who if you get down a couple scores, you can – get on his shoulders and he can pull, uh, you know, get you back in the game. Austin Ani's not that guy. A lot of that yardage, a lot of those touchdowns are when the game is within reach and the run game is setting up things for UNT or they're playing from ahead. So it, it's not absolving Austin Ani of blame. It's just that that second quarter where you have the Frank Harris 11-yard TD run, the beautiful pass down the sideline, Joe, and how many times did we see that seemingly in this game and over Frank Harris's career where he's hitting Zachary Franklin or JT Clark, you know, streaking down the sideline wide open in the in the back of the end zone there and in the Alamo Dome. So it went from being a 10-7 North Texas game to a 24-10 um, UTSA lead. And in my mind, again, that just is not a recipe for North Texas to find a way back in it when they're down two scores uh, as much as 18 points in the third quarter. That's not going to get the job done. So all in all, give credit to Jeff Trailers Club because they went out and won the game. I'm definitely not as saying that North Texas lost it by any stretch of the imagination. This is a game that the, the roadrunners really kind of took control of in that second quarter and, and you know didn't look back from there. But just in terms of uh, the point you make there with Austin Ani, it's just a team that's not designed to come from behind. I mean, when UTSA is getting 175 yards from Kavarian Barnes, he looks like a superstar in the making. Zachary Franklin with a great game. It, it, it just, it's just too much for, for that North Texas offense, the way they're designed to be able to keep up. I want to come back to 
UTSA in a second because um, you mentioned some really strong performers on their side in this game that, uh, in my opinion, are only boosting their resume for the next step in their career. Uh, but Austin Ani, we talked. To, I, I talked about the mistakes and obviously worth mentioning there. But uh, he also broke the single season touchdown pass record at North Texas with 32, and he passed one Mason Fine, who obviously we've been very complimentary of uh, over the years there. But um, and I think he did that with that touchdown pass to Jair Shorter. That was a really fantastic catch on on their part. But that the offensive highlights for uh, North Texas more or less ended there. Um, and I completely agree with the point that you made about the second quarter and kind of momentum really seizing up there before the mean green. And when you have the score difference that looks like this, if you fall behind by that much, when the rest of the game is pretty evenly contested, that's really going to hurt you. But um, Zakari Franklin, man, I think this was one of those games where, uh, t- you know, 10 catches for 144 yards, uh, school record for touchdown receptions in a game. Uh, believe he had at least two. I'm trying to find that note in here, but he, yeah, played fantastic. And I think this was really kind of a, um, a big boost to his NFL resume. And I've, I've been a big proponent as, uh, as any of, of, as anybody when it comes to getting him that kind of attention, but I think he really helped himself tonight or that night rather. Oh, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, all the things I think you, you hit on there, um, all great points. I'll quickly touch on the the Austin Ani point in terms of him breaking Mason Fine's record. That, again, is is why, you know, I kind of talk about what I talk about in terms of not that his numbers are deceptive, Joe, because uh, you, you don't just wake up and throw for 32 touchdown passes. But, and, and I think this would be fair to say, I'll ask the informal question. If you had Mason Fine back there and Austin Ani, and you're asking yourself, which quarterback do you trust to bring you back from a two-score deficit? You're probably going Mason Fine, right? I think so. Yeah, and, and that's no slight on Austin Ani. It, it just goes to show that the numbers um, there, while certainly well-earned, it, it just goes to show, you know, the style of play that North Texas um, does play is not one in terms of, you know, that's going to bring you back from multiple scores and maybe don't have the confidence in him that you do um, Mason Fine. But, yeah, all great points made by you there, John. With North Texas's offense, it seems like they've changed their philosophy quite a bit, though, since um, Mason Fine left. I mean, they if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, they used to throw significantly more than they used to. So clearly there's something to that, like idea of trusting Mason Fine with a more pass happy offense as opposed to what Austin Ani's got, where he's got all these, you know, solid running backs and a good offensive line. Yeah, no, 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 undoubtedly. I mean, when when Mason Fine was there, it was very much, a, I don't want to say pass-happy offense, but it certainly wasn't an offense that, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, Joe, but, you know, they rushed for over 3,000 yards last year. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at North Texas this year, Icaca Ragsdale um, should have been the team's leading rusher, but, you know, they definitely had a, a ton of guys there. Um, I'm looking at right here, A.O. Day, he had 740. Icaca Ragsdale, 661. Oscar Attaway, 583. And Oscar Attaway got banged up. So, you know, this is an offense clearly is is based around feeding as many backs as possible. Yes. They spread the ball around a lot more, I think is the gist. But yes. No, I mean, I think that's pretty much it here. Like we we expected UTSA to kind of perform well. We knew that depth was uh, was going to really show itself in this game. And I don't know. I mean, even just kind of going into this when when I, I uh, got to hear from Jeff Trailer on the COSA coaches call the week before, it seemed very relaxed. 
you know, it, he had this team ready to go, clearly. Yeah, I mean, the major thing that I think I take away from this, Joe, and I'm sure you'll feel the same way, that is a coach who feels very confident in not only the team that he brought into the year, but given all the injuries they had, he felt especially confident about the guys who have stepped up again. Kavarian Barnes was not the running back that we were expecting. You know, he had Trillion Smith, you had Brendan Brady. Mm-hmm. Barnes comes in and quite frankly, has been one of the better backs in, in CUSA across you know the last few weeks here. And then the litany of guys, I mean, Tyke Ogle Kellogg, I've talked about him a ton on this podcast. He was a fourth or fifth uh, receiver coming into the year. He steps up, made him as a playmaker. The list goes on. So I think that was reflected in his confidence entering this week. Absolutely. As we know, Frank Harris has uh, one more year left on his eligibility. Technically, don't know if he'll use it. Um, personally, I think if UTSA does end up winning this bowl game following something you know, catastrophic. I think he's gone personally Um, asked about this could be his last game in the Alamo dome following. And, you know, not that I really expected a different answer from any athlete in that position, but, you know, kind of, you know, brushed off the thought of, uh, you know, just saying he just wants to go back to the locker room, celebrate with his teammates. So I don't know to me, I like what else is left for him to accomplish there? I mean, that that's kind of my thought there. You're asking or stating, Joe? <laughs> I mean, I'm stating my thoughts, but you know I'm always interested in your thoughts on my thoughts. As long as they're the same as my thoughts. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, no. I mean, again, I, you know, you, here's the thing for our listeners. There are either episodes where I completely agree with Joe or I completely disagree. There's never like a mid-ground. So seemingly the by the uh, the track we're on, this is going to be an episode where I agree a lot with Joe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more there is for him to accomplish, especially – Given the injuries that he had early in his career, I, I think whether <laughs> – put you this way, Joe. It, it, the accomplishment part is one thing. Frank Harris isn't going to get any better with a year of, another year of college football. Fair? I don't think so. Yeah, and, that, and that's no slight on him. It's just that <laughs> he, he, Frank Harris is Frank Harris. It's time to see what he can do at the next level, and that's rightfully earned on his part. Eric, my favorite moment, I think, of this USA title game was when the – commentators described phil bennett as the kevin bacon of college football and then the color guy said oh i love dirty dancing and that had me cackling with laughter that was like the funny like they could not have written a better joke for like a movie so you know yeah i I bet when you said that one you're like huh I wonder if Eric's going to get this reference. Absolutely did, because A, I was watching the podcast, and B, uh, I, I'm watching the podcast. That's not how you podcast. consume that. Uh, I was watching the broadcast, and uh, I heard that exact moment. And Aaron Taylor was the, was the color man. He followed up with, wait a minute, the, the, was that Swayze? <laughs> so, yes, it was a it was an excellent moment there. Uh, shout to Rich Waltz, the former Florida Marlins uh, play-by-play man. You know, so, no, very familiar with him and Aaron Taylor. They do a great job on CBS Sports, that broadcast every year. And speaking of Phil Bennett, he's going to be the interim coach for the Mean Green in the Frisco Bowl against Boise State here. What do you think of that? Oh, no, it's a logical choice. I mean, Phil Bennett mm-hmm. does have a ton uh, of experience. So it's in my mind, it's the logical choice given, you know, Seth Luttrell's departure. And, you know, Phil Bennett was a uh, a head coach on point on SMU, you know, 2002, 2007. Mm-hmm. So it's a logical choice. There you go. Tons of coaching changes in COSA to get into. I mean, half a dozen or so, but let's start with Tom Herman to Florida Atlantic. A short search for the Owls, which 
probably a good thing. And frankly, I, I think this is a great hire for them because I'm surprised that Herman was kind of on the market for as long as he was um, just kind of waiting for the right G5 opportunity. I would assume did great things at Houston before he went to Texas, as we all know. Um, so I'll let you opine first on your thoughts on the Tom, uh, the, you know, Tom Homan hire. <laughs> are you, uh, are you um, from Boston now? <laughs> I'm not sure what accent that was. That was just my tongue getting stuck to the bottom of my mouth, <laughs> which I guess is just how you do a Boston accent. You just don't really move your tongue too much. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there let's, you go. Uh, let, let's compose. All myself. right. Before I piss off more, <laughs> more East coast people, I can feel Dan Morrison just bolting up in bed all of a sudden, like there's something wrong. Joe's oh, saying you're, something stupid. Oh, you're leaving us in the podcast. I thought we were going to edit this out, but if you, I mean, we'll no, we'll edit it up. I'm just vamping to see if there's uh, any usable thing. As no, no, no. I was going to say, listen, I'm all for pissing off Dan Morrison because you know Dan Morrison's. Like, <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's compose myself here. If we do want to use this, Dan, you know I feel about you. Yeah, Joe. So in terms of Tom Herman to FAU, I think it's a home run hire. I when you look at the candidates that were associated with the job, and that's not necessarily shading any of those guys, Joe, Willie Simmons, Clint Trickett, Travis Trickett, Charlie Weiss Jr. I think those all would have been fine hires in one way or another for FAU. And I'm sure at some point we'll have Kevin Fielder on to uh, to talk about the the um, the hire of Tom Herman. But you get someone who did it at Houston was a power five head coach. And more importantly, and I, I listen, I definitely want your thoughts on this, not even as much the X's and O's part of this, Joe. The Willie Taggart hire was definitely one that was meant to keep the fan base in tow, right? It was, we lost Lane Kiffin, but we got a hell of a head coach in Willie Taggart, someone who has had success at USF, got to Oregon job. Maybe things didn't work out quite as the way you would have wanted them to at FSU and had success at Western, but it's a name. It's someone that should keep us engaged, uh, keep the fan base engaged. That also didn't work out the way they would have wanted. In my mind, they're able to get the best of both worlds in Tom Herman, not saying that Tom Herman, we know things are going to work out swimmingly at FAU, because if you heard the last episode of this podcast, you know that I have some concerns over uh, that program outside of Lane Kiffin. Their success has been modest at best. However, now you're now what? This is the second hire removed from Lane Kiffin, and you're still able to attract a top end coach, someone who would have had I don't want to say his pick of the litter, but he, he, he this wasn't one that he had to take. Tom Herman would have had options had he waited, and in my mind, that goes to show that a that program is still well regarded. B Tom Herman spoke about Lane Kiffin putting the the, the word in his ear saying, "Hey, this is a great place to coach, uh, especially you know getting back in the coaching game." And and C the facilities that I've spoken about ad nauseum, the Schmidt Athletic Facility, FAU Stadium, they are things that can still attract something more than a first time head coach or you know a retread who's been down on his luck and is looking just to get back in the game. How much do you think the fact that there are several former assistants of his already on this staff? Um, I, I don't know because I mean we just saw. I don't know if you caught this, Joe. Um, Todd Orlando just um, it was just announced that he's headed to South Florida. So I mean that's yeah. a guy who, I, quite frankly, I thought would have been retained because he was with Tom Herman at Texas. So I mean we do know that Ed Ed Warner, uh, the offensive line coach, will stay, uh, and that was one of his former assistants. So I don't know. Um, I, I I'm sure it didn't hurt, but clearly not everyone's 
coming back. True. I think it's a great hire as well. I mean, he, I mean, frankly, I think he kind of fits the mold of, I mean, sort of what Kiffin was and what Taggart was on paper anyway, in terms of being really kind of an offensive focused coach. Uh, you mentioned in the write-up you did about him when this hire broke that uh, they averaged or his offense is rather averaged 38 points per game at Houston. And, you know, obviously Herman's a big part of kind of the resurgence of that football program and why they're in position to jump to the big 12 from the AAC now. So, you know, clearly I think FAU are are hoping that a name like that's going to make enough of a splash to kind of keep, you know, some national eyeballs on them for the foreseeable future here. Joe, do want to ask you this. What do you make of the fact, and we're going to talk about some more of these, these coaching decisions here in a second. Uh, Saw noted that four out of the six Conference USA teams that are heading to the American looking for new head coaches. Where do you think FAU kind of falls just when you take an objective look at the, not, not the programs in the American as is, but the six that are heading there? Where do you think they fall? Just if, if kind of in your opinion, you know, no right or wrong answer. I mean, in terms of like attractiveness as a job or? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. I would say they're probably, I mean, of the of those six teams that are going in, I probably have them at number three behind UTSA and UAB personally, just because, A, I think UTSA has kind of proven that like there's the investment on the part of the city, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, UAB. I mean, it's just tough to argue with, A, the new stadium and the new facilities and uh, just the the culture that has, you know, kind of started and under Bill Clark and everything like that. Whereas FAU, excellent resources, um, you know, Boca Raton's a great place to live for most people, probably not for me, but for most people. And, you know, again, Florida is what it is in terms of a talent pool, but as we've discussed ad nauseum, um, you have to be very competitive. So I think it's kind of right in the middle. Okay. No, I mean, I think that's fair. I guess the reason I asked that question is they've been able to attract significant, they've been able to attract head coaches that you would say are probably above where the program probably lies in terms of, you know, their ranking. And I think that's, that's goes piggybacks off of what yeah. you said, the attractiveness of Florida as a, a recruiting destination and B. there's no two ways about it, man. The attractiveness of coaching on Boca. Like that's yeah. a hell of a Joe. I mean, I don't want to, you know, we got a bunch of hires to talk about, so I don't want to belabor this point too much, but is there a better job than coaching a group of five team in where no disrespect to the media corpse, my guy, you know, Kevin Fielder for owls, two, four, seven, Zach Weinberger yeah. uh, as a freelancer for Palm beach post, but there's not a ton of media coverage during FAU. Lane Kiffin was open about this. You get mm-hmm. to hang out in Boca not be scrutinized the way you would have been in the SEC or the Big 12 and just coach football. Like, that's pretty attractive. Of course, but I think that's going to – like, the coverage for FAU, I think, the more you succeed, the more that's going to grow in theory, right? Like, I understand why Lane <laughs> Kiffin liked his setup at Boca, in, in, in Boca Raton so much because it was, you know, relatively quiet and he could, you know, live his life outside of work. But again, I, I think the more that this program kind of moves up in the world as far as jumping to the AAC, winning games, et cetera, like in theory, you kind of want that to go away, at least if you're FAU's administration. If you're FAU's administration, you want that to go away regardless. <laughs> like you want coverage. Yeah. Do I believe that will happen? 
<laughs> uh, not in the near future is what you're saying listen you got it, it from palm beach through dade county it's a hurricanes area that, that just sure. is what it is and then from there it's the rest of the schools in florida so fau and fiu quite frankly includes my own beat are gonna are gonna fight struggles for coverage regardless um i, I the the <laughs> coverage is one thing joe scrutiny is another right you, you understand what i'm saying there like yeah. I, I don't think i don't think lane kiffin or willie tag or any of them particularly care too much about the coverage they want it no one at, at the palm beach post or anywhere else for that matter uh you know kevin maybe uh is going to scrutinize what you did on third down the way that you would have in the sec yeah that that makes sense i think again i think that's only going to grow as the profile of this team and the aac and just the city in general continues to grow. I mean, it's not going to it's not going to shrink unless they just completely self-destruct as a program, which I don't see happening really. If you had to give it a letter grade, Tom Herman higher. Hey, hey, absolutely. All right. Well done, FAU. Um all right, we might have different feelings about this next one. Let's talk Trent Dilfer to UAB. Um announced last week by or UAB athletic director, Mark Ingram, and uh, they go and get the former NFL quarterback and a current Tennessee high school head coach uh, to be the, uh, to be the new head coach uh, replacing uh, Bill Clark and Bryant Vincent at the UAB football program. And it's worth mentioning that the UAB football team uh, wrote a letter to Ingram uh, in the days leading up to the announcement of this hire vocalizing their frustrations with uh, the hiring process and the search committee and the lack of communication on Ingram's part. Doesn't seem like Ingram was really taking that to heart, which, it, you know, not uncommon for athletic directors in general. They got a job to do. Um, but, you know, we all know Trent Dilfer from his, you know, NFL exploits. He, he did win a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, one of the best defenses in the history of the game had a lot to do with that as well with Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, etc. Uh, but four seasons at Lipscomb Academy, that's kind of the extent of, of his, you know, coaching in a team context. Don't want to forget that he is also the lead instructor for the elite 11, uh, high school quarterback competition, which is a huge recruiting tool. And if you don't know anything about elite 11, that's where a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, current NFL quarterbacks, current high profile college quarterbacks have kind of come uh, just before they go into the college ranks to kind of hone their game um, and, you know, kind of really put a stamp on their legacy as uh, high school recruits. And it, it's a solid it's, you know, I, he's worked with high level talent is what I'm saying. So I know a lot of people were looked at this hire and were like, what in the ever loving, you know what? Um, I'm not that down on it. But it's odd because I think UAB could have done better, but this isn't like bottom the barrel, in my opinion. Joe, you said that you thought we might disagree on this. <laughs> From what you said there, we're pretty much aligned. I just got to ask you, just so I know exactly where you stand. Mm -hmm. uh, when you say you felt they could have done better, what? Just give me a hypothetical of what they may have looked like. Someone with FBS coaching experience. <laughs> that was well played, Joe. <laughs> Well, hey, well, hang on a second. 
Yeah. All right. I'm, one more question. I'm sorry. This is I, I am now turning this into a uh, 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 Joe Lonergan presser in which I am quizzing him as if he is the AD who made the hire. That's great, great. Good thing I have a podium in my office. Yeah. <laughs> with with a, um, a nameplate, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. a phenomenal one at that. Um, mm-hmm. If you do feel that the, the, their their ability to do better was anyone with FBS coaching experience, then how are it seems as if like you're fine with the hire, but like you see how those two things seem to con- contradict themselves or, or not in a nutshell. I think Trent Dilfer could be a very decent college coach at some point. The fact that he's jumping from high school to FBS and from the FBS to, you know, a program that's has a big opportunity in front of them in the AAC, no less with very little experience running like a team team, not just a big group of quarterbacks in a camp. I mean, I, I think he would have, I think he would have eventually been a great head coach or a good head coach rather at the college level, but I don't think he's, re- I, I don't think he's ready for this personally, but we'll see if he proves me wrong. Okay. No, I mean, that provides some information that, you know, kind of help me form, uh, you know, get a uh, kind of a conclusive idea of where your thoughts are. Cause Joe, we're pretty much the same, right. In terms of this hire, I don't mind UAB thinking outside the box. I don't mind UAB making a splashy hire as they head to the American. Listen, this is no disrespect to Skip Holtz, who has an incredible track record of success at the G5 level, specifically with Louisiana Tech. Not so much at USF, but still. Mm-hmm. That hire doesn't necessarily fire up the fan base. And listen, I'm not saying winning the press conference is more important than winning games. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. However, with Trent Dilfer, it kind of reminds me, in a sense, I'm not saying they're exactly analogous, but to the Deion Sanders hire. Trent spent a lot of time at the Elite 11, you know, in the Elite 11 world. He's going to be able to get a quarterback. I, I hope, you know, Conference USA and, of course, future AAC uh, fans know this. Trent Dilfer is going to be able to get a quarterback. He, he just spent too much time. At, he, he's, too, he's too well regarded. I had it, Joe, um, when that hire was announced, I had a parent of a former FBS quarterback who is from that area, uh, that that national area where Trent Dilfer was coaching at, reach out to me and say, that guy, you know, I don't know how it's going to work out, but he's really well regarded. And if you, I guess Trent Dilfer is doing these kind of, um, like for lack of a better phrase, these um, um, not conferences, but like weekly sit downs where he'd invite, you know, parents and whatnot to come out there and kind of talk football and yeah. parents buy in, like, Parents buy in and quarterbacks buy in and, and parents of quarterbacks buy in. You know, it's a, so it's a great combination to be able to attract talent. Um, I, and another thing is, I do think Joe from his time at ESPN, you know, he's known in that realm and it spent a lot of time there. I think he's able to put together a decent staff, although you could probably make some. Uh, some people are, are, are down on the hire of Alex Mortensen as, I believe, offensive coordinator. I'm not because, I mean, I think, Joe, this is unfair to Alex. He's getting shaded because his last name's Mortensen, and we all know that's the son of ESPN legendary, you know, um, reporter Chris Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alex Mortensen did play for Arkansas. He played FBS football and has been a coach for a decade now. So this is, <laughs> if his name last name weren't Mortensen, this would pretty much be the career trajectory of a of a coach with his resume, right? But mm-hmm. with that being said, I think he's going to put together a staff that that's going to, um, maybe not to the likes of Deion Sanders, but he's going to put together a veteran staff that's going to help him in his deficiencies. And I, and I, I it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I might have liked this hire a little bit more if it was 
UAB was remaining in Conference USA, but heading to the mm-hmm. American, it, it now becomes a more high-profile job. Maybe that was what was attractive to Trent Dilfer, and um, we'll see how it shakes out. But I'm not down on it, Joe. I, I, I do think our friend Kevin Fielder, I guess that's the third reference of Kevin on this podcast today, did write a piece in which he said he felt it was analogous to Jeff Saturday. I can't be mad at that opinion. But with that being said, it's not like we haven't seen this happen before with Tony Sanchez most recently. Um, Todd Dodge as well. You know, Todd Dodge, former North Texas head coach. Um, so we'll see how it works out. Uh, but I'll be honest. I, I I will be intrigued because I thought if any high school to FBS head coaching situation would work, it would have been Tony Sanchez in Vegas having coached Bishop Gorman, which is a national powerhouse. That didn't work out. So I'll be intrigued, but I'm not down on it, Joe. I mean, one thing's clear about Dilfer, and that's that his interpersonal skills are, are off the charts, clearly. And you mentioned kind of being able to, you know, connect with parents. He is a parent. He's got several kids. And, you know, I, I think he mentioned it in his press conference as well. I think UAB's heavy involvement in, uh, you know, pediatric health care is a, a, a big thing to him. He he lost his uh, he lost a, his young son a number of years ago to a pediatric ailment, yeah. um, which that's been covered a lot. Um, but I, I think all that to say, I, I think he does connect very well with parents. I think he connects very well with people in general. One press conference does not make a career obviously and this guy he's getting ready to lead the high school team that he currently coaches in a state championship game so i'm sure there's a lot on his mind but i just hope he knows like what he's getting into in terms of being able to lead a program because i don't i'm I'm trying to say this this reminds me of herm edwards to arizona state a little bit whereas i think we saw a lot of times at the beginning of that era Edwards clearly not really realizing what he was getting into. <laughs> and I, I hope that's not the case with, with Trent Dilfer. Cause I, 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 frankly, I do like him as a person. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting analogy because I mean, Herm Edwards had been uh, just, you know, he's been, out, he's been out of coaching for a long time. I mean, the, yeah, I know there's differences, but. Yeah, you, no, know. no. Here's what I was going to say. Cause I'm actually going to defend you here. Um, okay. I, I, it's not that you're wrong. Right. Because people will say, oh, Herm Edwards has been a, a, an NFL head coach with the Jets. But there's a big difference between being not only, as you mentioned, being removed from the game in the coaching realm um, yeah. for as long as he had, but also coaching college. And I think the point just for listeners who may get on Joe, the, the point that you know I feel comfortable enough speaking for you in this regard. Joe, it felt like all of the nuances that Herm Edwards were kind of like missing. They were specific to the college game. Like if you weren't NFL head coach, none of these things would have been an issue. But this were really specific to the college game. I think that's the point that you're making. Yeah, they're clearly like different people and with different backgrounds. I'm just saying I think Trent Dilfer is going to realize, like Herm Edwards, that there are aspects of this of coaching, you know, an FBS college team that are not what he expected or didn't think were going to be as big of pieces as they are. Jumping that, jumping from high school to that level of college ball is going to be different, just in, in in a different way than jumping down from you know the NFL twenty years ago to the college ranks now. But it's it's still going to be an adjustment. I think that's what I was trying to say. Sure, sure, no doubt. If you had to give it a letter grade, B minus. I'm torn between B minus and B. I'm going to go B. I'm going to go B. I'm going to go C plus. Good, but needs needs improvement. <laughs> Study harder. Yeah, yeah I, I, I probably should go closer to B minus, but I'm 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 I hear you there. 
We don't know who is going to be the permanent head coach of the North Texas football program, but we know it's not going to be Seth Luttrell. Um, I think Seth Luttrell and former UNLV coach Marcus Arroyo can commiserate in the fact that if they're uh, old athletic directors were still in power. They would still be coaching their current teams. Um, obviously, with North Texas, Ren Baker, their athletic director, made the jump to West Virginia. We all know those relationships are important. So um, it, it's likely no coincidence that a, a number of a matter of days after uh, Ren Baker accepted that job at West Virginia, that uh, Seth Luttrell is, um, you know, shown the door, which is interesting because I think. Seth Luttrell had kind of figured out, you know, he, he did a lot of good things with his with his team this year. So I think that's kind of where people are a little bit confused by this decision. Um, that being said, I think, you know, if, if you're not blowing teams out in Conference USA, I think people get upset by that. So I think at least, you know, when I say people, I mean, like North Texas administration and North Texas fans in particular. So um, that's that's where. I think the issue kind of started, right? Like, I think I told you off air prior to the season started was I I didn't think Latrell was going to be the head coach of the Mean Green football program by the time they start in the AAC. And I was right, but I'm a little bit surprised that I'm right, just because, again, the the improvement that this program has shown, especially on the defensive side of the ball in the last year and a half or so. You know, Joe, it, it, I there are a lot of feelings when I saw the firing of Seth Latrell. Initially, I was surprised, and I even tweeted it as much from the UDD account and from my personal uh, Twitter account, because I felt that Seth Latrell had been more or less a, a reasonably fair head coach at North Texas. Let's go and take a look at the records here. Five and eight in 2016, a pair of nine win years with the aforementioned Mason Fine, a pair of four win years, 2019, and of course the COVID year, uh, 2020. Last year's six and seven, and then this year's seven and six. Now with that has come five bowl appearances in seven years. This year would have been the sixth and seventh, um, or five and six, and this year would have been the sixth and seventh. They have not won a bowl game. The last bowl win was 2013 for North Texas in the heart of Dallas Bowl. That was under Dan McCartney, uh, Dan McCartney, excuse me, who who went 22 and 32 in five seasons at UNT when they were in the Sun Belt and then heading to Conference USA, one bowl appearance. So more or less, this team has hovered around. They've been no worse, Joe, than four and eight. Um, they've had a couple of five win years and the high in terms of wins has been nine with Seth Luttrell. So when I see a lot of the commentary from North Texas fans and they say that Seth Luttrell, while improved the program for where it was, where it was before, has gotten them as far as they can go. I, I Joe, I'm naturally not a gambler. I, I'll admit I naturally am someone who tends to play it safe. So my initial reaction was, okay. Nine and two, uh, two nine and five years, uh, uh, you know, four years ago, you're consistently going to bowl games, you're heading to the American, you have, and I noted this on Twitter multiple times, some of the top facilities in the G5 ranks. I mean, their indoor practice facility, Joe, it's it's bigger than the uh, the Amway Arena, the, the Orlando Magic's home, you know, up the road from me in, in Orlando, and Apogee Stadium, my first time being there this year. I would venture to say was arguably the crown jewel in conference USA and will certainly be among one of the top game day facilities in the American. But 
given that, given what I just said, in your mind, do you think that the ceiling for this program, well, a two-part question, and I'm going to answer it as well. I'm going to answer it while I, I, I ask you the question, but two-part question. One, do you think that the Seth Luttrell tenure in itself, given the five bowl losses, do you think it's viewed as as a disappointment in, in some sense? My answer to that is I don't believe it should be, although I can understand, not that I agree, but I can understand given the the loss in the CUSA title game and maybe, you know, if there was an inevitable loss in, in the bowl game, feeling that way. Um, B, Joe, what in your mind is the ceiling? You know, this is a question I like to ask. What in your mind is the ceiling for North Texas football? Because in my mind, I can understand with them going to the American, them feeling, given the teams that are leaving, that they've got the potential to be not to, to you know dig up any feelings. We know that the state of this rivalry, but at yeah. least SMU, which is a little more on par with not the last few years of Seth Charles tenure. I mean, who knows? The AAC is weird. Like we saw Tulane win two games last year and then they came back and won the division this year. So I think it's it's just a league where anything can happen. Um, as far as Seth Luttrell, I mean, it kind of says it in his record, right? He was is dead even in all the time that he was there. And, you know, I, I think so that kind of record is enough for to to split audiences right like some people are going to be able to be like oh he's just right there he's just right there but then other people are going to look at that and say he had more than enough time um it it reminds me of i've made this comparison a lot with <clears throat> with coaches but uh, you know i grew up in southern ohio so i guess it's natural it reminds me of marvin lewis who was the head coach of the Bengals for so long um and i was shocked that he was the head coach of the Bengals for so long because his record was painfully average um and i think that's that's kind of what you can you know, take from the Seth Luttrell era based on his record. I mean, obviously he did a lot of other good things, but, you know, I think, unfortunately, I think for people outside of the North Texas football program, I think his legacy is going to be, uh, you know, the, the bag fumble as, as the kids call it, he had the opportunity to move up to, you know, a, a P five big 12 kind of job uh, a few years ago, didn't take it, knew, thought he could do more with this program and they haven't really moved anywhere since. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the point, Joe, that when you look at coming off the nine win years, but this is where, and I'm not trying to build in excuses, but mm -hmm. it's tough to replace a quarterback like Mason Fine. I could point to uh, uh, quite a few situations. Hell, I use the program I cover in, in FIU. It, they had James Morgan that went from Alex Magoo to James Morgan. So three years of, of a quarterback that is NFL caliber. And then from there, it's tough to replace that. And when you can't, eh, you know, your team's going to struggle. Now, the flip side to that should be, well, that's why you're in Texas. I mean, you, you should be able to recruit. And especially with the transfer portal in today's day and age, you should be able to find a quarterback. Um, they tried the portal quite a few times. We saw with Jace Reuter and, and – um, I'm forgetting the other kid now who was there. Oh, man, there's another kid who was there outside of Chase Reuter, and Austin Ani just ended up being the best option. So all in all, I guess the reason why this the firing kind of sits a little bit weird with me is this. You talked about Ren Baker, and I think that's a great point you made. But, Joe, just try this on for size. If they win the CUSA title game, right, does that mean you bring him back? Because that means it's just, in essence, it's just one game. And I'm never going to be a fan of firings that just hinge on one game. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 does that make sense? 
Well, yeah. I mean, if he had won the title game, he'd absolutely be back. I mean, that's that's a decision that'll have people coming for your head as a university president, which this decision wasn't even made by their interim athletic director, by the way. This was this decision was uh, made by university president Neil Smatrix, uh, Smatresk uh, on on Sunday. So that's kind of the way the business works, right? If you had a trophy to show for it, then you probably would have earned yourself, you know, another year there without, uh, you know, without <laughs> this happening. So, um, you know, that, that wouldn't have done anybody any favors, but I think in the mind of Smatrask, he's, you know, trying to position, uh, he, he's trying to essentially set up this, this next athletic director, whoever that may be to, you know, really start with some momentum by making, you know, a hire for this program. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I get it and I understand, you know, all right, if you win that game, you feel a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know, man, like I just I'm not a fan of those firings that say, all right, well, this is the one game that hinges on it, you know, because, OK, so you win that one and then then they lose the bowl game. Then what does that mean? <laughs> right. You know, sure. it's just so subjective. But all in all, uh, I think it'll be one of the top uh, jobs, especially amongst the group of five ranks, to see what happens. Because as I talked about, the facilities there are phenomenal. And uh, someone who, whoever gets that job is getting a, a gold mine. I think I agree with that. It's a game of inches, you know. If if they had uh, if they had gone just one little step further in terms of uh, their, their season's potential, who knows. But here we are. Um, all right. Some news on the UTSA side as well. Co-OC Will Stein is going to Oregon to be the new OC with the Ducks. Um, Eric, I mentioned it last week. I, it was only a matter of time before Will Stein got uh, got a bigger opportunity. And seems like the door has opened for him to pursue this one up in Eugene. What I find really interesting, Joe, and this is kind of the angle I'm going to take this at. Mm-hmm. Jeff Trailer is building a nice track record of hey work under me and you can get to that next level whether it's been yeah will stein barry looney jr uh, i know they had a defensive line coach who went to miami whose name's escaping me right now that in my mind joe is pretty special and jeff trailer's approach to it i don't know if you saw the quote i just saw it today i don't know when he said it but it, it, the reason why he hired from within is he felt he, he said i'm a fan of rewarding you know people who've worked for me and i don't want my players to learn um uh, to have to learn a, a whole nother system as far as verbiage. I think, A, that's great as players, right? So you're keeping that continuity. But B, the rewarding from within, how many times do we see, especially at a group of five uh, level, so, all right, we lost our, our our coordinator or such and such. All right, we got to go get someone from outside, right? That just goes to show, I mean, in, in my mind, that builds that continuity and that, that culture of like, yo, this is someone we want to work for, you know? Hard to argue with that. And I can't really... I don't disagree with any of that. I think Jeff Trailer's done a fantastic job of kind of bringing in guys who, you know, have the aspirations to get to that next level. And I think, while I think at the same time, Trailer seems really happy with where he's at. He wouldn't have signed a 10 year contract if that wasn't the case. Um, but, you know, Trailer's a coach's coach, which is exactly who you want to work for if that's where you want to, if that's the trajectory you want your career to have. And you were thinking of Rod Wright, by the way, a UTSA defensive yeah. coach that, yeah. That, that went to Miami. I don't know. Oregon's a tough job, but uh, you know, seems like uh, if Will Stein has one day, one day has coaching aspirations. That's, that's a good place to be. Most definitely. If you have head coaching aspirations, it's not a, it's not a bad place to be undoubtedly. 
Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> with the way that uh, his, his alma mater, Louisville, is turning through head coaches who <laughs> might have his number in a couple of years. We'll see. Which is that. <laughs> I mean, just real, real quick sidebar. This uh, coaching carousel has been weirder than most, I feel like. And I don't have any concrete proof to point to other than just some of these hires have felt like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're still around. Listen, in the co- in the coaching game, Joe, you're always going to have one of those. I mean, I don't know. We, I think we talked about this last uh, last episode, right? When the fake mm-hmm. Colin Deaver account said that Hal Mummy is going to be the yeah. coach at, at New Mexico State, but Hal Mummy was just in the game a few years ago. So, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. And then one more hire for, of course, future COSA member Liberty. They get Coastal Carolina head coach Jamie Chadwell. Uh, Chadwell most recently. Got a share of the Sunbelt title in uh, 2020 uh, with the Chanticleers alongside, I believe it was Louisiana um, in 2020. But um, they played in the CUSA title game against Troy over the weekend. Uh, lost, did not play particularly well. Chadwell looked as checked out as I've seen him personally. But, um, you know, it, clearly that it, <laughs> him pursuing these coaching opportunities in my opinion clearly had some sort of effect on the team because they they did not look prepared for that troy team but we'll leave that breakdown for the sunbelt guys but for now um as far as you know liberty is concerned i think this is a pretty good hire you know i'm surprised that they were able to get him because personally i think chadwell was um you know one of those guys that was going to be positioned for you know, an opportunity like USF or Cincinnati. Um, one of the ones that um, was in a bigger, uh, significantly bigger market. And obviously with Liberty, I think the resources there are much, much better than USF. Um, maybe not Cincinnati, but as we've talked about, Liberty absolutely has the resources for, you know, Chadwell to um, succeed. And I mean, if we're looking at it solely as how this sets them up, I'll be curious to see how much of that, you know, kind of RPO system that he had at Coastal Carolina he brings with him um, might change a little bit kind of the, the the type of players that Liberty has at quarterback. But we'll see. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad hire for 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 Liberty. Um, I think the way that the whole thing kind of went down in uh, Chadwell's camp was a little unfortunate for the Coastal Carolina kids. But again, that's kind of a Sunbelt topic. So. Joe, um, I, I don't have too much to add on top of it because um, and hopefully this gives you enough time while I stall. Can you pull up the exact quote that you noted from Jamie Chadwell's presser following the Sunbelt Conference title game? Because in my mind, if you're able to pull it up while I'm, you know, give you a moment to do that, okay. there's nothing more that I can add that that quote in itself doesn't um speak for for itself right because we've talked about jamie chadwell you talked about some of the larger markets like usf and others and i don't i my timeline is off on where the cincinnati job was at the point in time and um where he was negotiating with liberty but if you look at jamie chadwell as a person and the things that he's been very open about in terms of what his priorities are um I quite frankly didn't see it as a situation where he was going to choose USF and that's not shading USF or my hometown of Tampa as like some cesspool. Although <laughs> if you, a quick Google search on Tampa, maybe it is a cesspool, but I digress. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, it, it, the, the things that are, that he's been very open about are important to him. They all were there at Liberty and 
a very good football program with the finances to back it up. So hopefully by now you've, you've tracked on that quote and you can you know provide it to our listeners. I didn't transcribe the full press conference, but I'm, I'm assuming you're mentioning the one that um, he said in, in regards to when he was directly asked, have you spoken to Liberty? And he said, yes, I spoke to them. He didn't consider he's the gist of the quote was, um, and I'll, honestly, I'll just grab the audio and splice it in so y'all can sure. hear it for yourselves. But sure. um, essentially, he said uh, he was directly asked, have you spoken to Liberty? Have you interviewed? Are you going there? And he said, yes, I've spoken to them. That was all he said and said, you know, I will continue to uh, confer with my family and, and pray about opportunities that come my way. And it went into a spiel about how important his Christian faith is to him. So uh, here's that. Here's that audio for people that are curious. Jimmy, I'd be hard pressed if I didn't ask this question. Um, obviously, you know what's coming. Is there any uh, is there any talk between you and Liberty? Have you talked to Liberty about their head coaching position? Have you interviewed for, with Liberty at all? I have, talk, I have talked to them, um, but I, I'll stick to my comment that I had. Uh, I think it was yesterday that uh, I'm not signing anything with him or anything of that nature. So, what would it take for you to? return as the head coach of Coastal Carolina if an offer is on the table from Liberty? I think anytime you have opportunities um, at any other institution, you pray through it. I'm going to pray, you know, discern the Holy Spirit. I'm a person of faith. That's important to me. Uh, And um, if I'm led to go somewhere else, I'll go somewhere else. You know, that's the way I always try to do it. I I don't go for money. I don't go for anything. But where can I do? I believe that I can impact people in a positive way. That's important to me. Um, I've been able to do it here at Coastal, and I love that, and I love our team. And so, but anytime you have any type of opportunities, you you look at it and see is there opportunity to better uh, for your family and different things from that standpoint. So, so yeah, Joe, great job tossing to that audio, so you can hear the listeners can hear exactly for themselves. That's kind of the point that I was making. That in terms of liberty, I think in terms of a culture and a fit with Jamie Chadwell having been very open about his Christian faith, and as I said, that in conjunction with liberty being a very viable Group of Five football program right now, off a few frees, and the finances and resources and backing that Liberty has. Basically, my point, Joe, is. When you compare that and compare and contrast that to some of the other openings that may have been there, I I just don't think it would have been close in my mind for Jamie Chadwell. If he was going to leave Coastal, if he's looking for a job and he's on the street, maybe it's different. But when he's leaving Coastal, somewhere that he's built up and has been successful and, and, you know, has his lay of the land, it's got to be somewhere that's specific and is a complete fit. And clearly, based on the, the, the audio you heard there, that is Liberty. Sure. I don't know. I mean, yes, the the atmosphere of, of faith, that sort of thing. That's clearly very important to him. It's, you know, obvious that, that that's a priority for, you know, this for, for Liberty university as well. Um, and the money doesn't hurt as well. I believe 4 million that's for 4 million a year for seven years, I believe was the the deal, which, <laughs> you know, I, that's a good chunk of change for a G five coach for sure. I will say, you know, if if the money and the atmosphere was your priority, understandable. I'm simply saying I think with, you know, the right investment and a good recruiting streak, I think Chadwell could have taken, you know, a, a team that, you know, a team outside of Conference USA to like right on either to the expanded college football playoff or maybe 
like right on the verge. I don't think that's going to happen with Liberty just because of that factors beyond his control with with the league and who's left in the league right now. Listen, Joe, that's a fair point. And I don't I think we're just coming at it from two different perspectives because I don't disagree sure. with anything you said. The ceiling in the American right now is higher than Conference USA. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um if 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 that was important to to him, then I feel like that would have been the job he's 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 at. Does that right? So like I, I tweet this out. USF is not a, and I think this kind of sums up how I feel. USF, and I can't remember the other job that was open at the time, um, but I'll use, use South Florida for the point of example, is not a better job than Liberty right now. At right. its peak, is it a better job? Yes, because you have the the Florida recruiting base, which we talk about ad nauseum on this podcast, but also the fact that they're in the American and that seems to be the gateway to being the group of five representative in, in the New Year's six game. But just again, that's why, you know, I'm glad you threw that quote in there on that audio. Cause seemingly that wasn't not that those things aren't a priority for him, but just as much as a priority for him are the aforementioned fit. So I think we're just coming out from two different perspectives, but we both agree with what each other are saying. Yeah. Okay. So once again, congrats to UTSA on becoming the third program to repeat as Conference USA champions. We'll see what they do in the bowl game, and we'll talk about all the CUSA-related bowl games next week. Um, We do a little preview of that slate, so tune into that. And we'll be back to talk more transfer portal news as well. A lot of CUSA guys headed in there as well, so we'll talk about where they could end up, where that leaves their team in the grand scheme of things, and um, who knows, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about postseason awards and and whatnot as well so uh with that we'll say thank you so much for listening to the underdog podcast week in week out we really appreciate it help us grow by leaving a review on your platform of choice by the way and if you want to follow us on twitter at underdog dynasty for more g5 football content from us and from the staff of writers every single day and i'm at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore if you want to follow me you probably don't that's fine and uh, at eric c henry underscore for updates from the best FIU writer in the business. All right. Happy football watching everybody. We'll be back very soon.